This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mammoliti. Hi, I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. If you haven't had a chance yet, pop over to kitchenconfession.com and check out my latest recipe, Tuscan Chicken White Bean and Kale Soup. All right, it's time for Sound Bites with producer Matt Agnew. Hey, Matt. Hey, Mary. How's it going? It's great. How's it going? Doing good. What are we chatting and talking about today? Well, first up, we got a new study from the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. They're looking into um, whether or not, what what time of day is best to exercise, where, where you get kind of the most bang for your buck. Um, and particularly men should be looking to burn fat before breakfast. Um, men. Because after fasting, your body has lower stores of carbs to to rely on. So it, it really quickly turns over to uh, relying on, on the fat stores. So they found that men in particular can burn up to two times more fat by exercising before, just before breakfast. You know, honestly, I think men just, and I, I'm sorry, I'm generalizing, but a lot of you guys can burn fat just walking up a flight of stairs. <laughs> you know, I, I think it kind of depends on age as well here. Uh, the study didn't look um, particularly at uh, any age categories. It was um, 30 overweight men, it, it said. Uh, so I don't know if, if age has much to do with it, although I, I have found uh, after clearing my uh, mid-20s, um, it's definitely getting harder. I don't know if that quite applies to me so much anymore. Oh my God, you're talking about mid twenty. Wait till you reach 40, my friend. <laughs> Wait, it is. it becomes non-existent, your metabolism. You're actually going to send out an APB out on it, trying to find out where it went, who <laughs> took it. Because, and how to get it back. And how to get it back. Um, and if you figure that out before I do, let me know. I will let you know. Well, it, it does look like exercising early um, has other uh, uh, health benefits, including the fact that um, the men also had better insulin response once they ate uh, later in the day. So uh, it would kind of help regulate their blood sugar. And it definitely led to uh, reduced risk of heart disease and diabetes as well. Are you an early, uh, an early bird? Okay, you know what, I, I would consider myself a morning person, not because I get up early, like I am definitely not up with the with the crack of dawn. Usually I'm up with the dog's nose in my face. I'm like, come on, get out of bed, take me for a walk. <laughs> uh, however, I, I think I'm most productive in the morning. So I definitely like I, I try and structure my morning so that I, you know, I, I can get that walk in with the dog. I, I maybe like I'm not exactly pumping iron at eight in the morning, but right. uh, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm more active in the morning. I'll get more work done. I'll get more uh, chores done, you know, that kind of thing. What about so you? I've, yeah, no, I'm the same way. So I get a lot more done. First thing in the morning, I am an early bird. I'm an early riser, very early. Um, and I just feel like I used to work out, I think like at seven in the morning, um, and I still, I still do from time to time, get up really early and do my first, the first thing I do is a workout or some type of movement. Um, I'm probably going to call myself out right now. I haven't lately, but I notice a difference. So I notice when I do do that early morning workout and it doesn't have to be like you said, something that where you're lifting hundreds of pounds or, you know, you're you're running for three hours. Mm-hmm. It's just got to be some type of movement, some type of exercise. And I noticed that my level of concentration increases throughout the day. Um, I've got clarity. Yeah, it just kind of gets everything moving, right? You just kind of stretch yourself out and and just kind of get 
get your digestion working and your and your brain uh, cranking a little bit there. Okay, so according to this best time to exercise study, best time is first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning before you eat breakfast. Okay, I can work with that because I I've done it, and I do love that. What do we have next? Up next, uh, this one was really interesting. Uh, the online publication Insider spoke with uh, some coffee shop employees about their biggest customer pet peeves. And there was some pretty shocking stuff in this article. Um, n- number one was the <laughs> whiners. The okay. people who, who walk up, they're, they're going to Starbucks. They're going to like, or, or whatever high-end coffee shop in their neighborhood. And, and they know, come on, they know it's high-end, right? You're not mm-hmm. just, if you're not going to Tim's, you got nothing to complain about, really. Uh, <laughs> and they'll complain about the high-end drink prices to the barista who's making them. <laughs> Isn't that just insane? But you're insane? walking into the establishment. You know this when you're going in. They're not shy about publicizing their menus. So and, it's and up let's, there. Let's be honest. These are also the people who are... They have a drink order that's like half a page long, right? It's got to be low-fat, you know, soy latte, skinny. mocha, skinny, half-pump of vanilla, you know? like they're, they're making complicated orders. And then they're whining about the prices to the person making it. I think... You know, that's just a little bit, you know, like, where, where, okay, where's your self-awareness one? on that? Right? Exactly, exactly. This this article here is one of my favorites, I have to admit, because I'm dying to hear more. Well, so and it, it's whiners. so fun, too, because um, coffee shops are where everyone goes to people watch, too. And there's just always so much weird things uh, that happen in a, in a Starbucks or something like that. And you, and you just, your, your ears start burning when you hear, you know, that guy walking up to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the second one um, that baristas described as their least favorite customers were uh, the campers, mm-hmm. people who would order yes. one coffee and then set up their personal office all day. Do you do you ever work in coffee shops? Like, do, do you find that's like a conducive place to get stuff done? I've done it, and I don't overstay my welcome because in the end, you have to understand this is someone's livelihood. This is their business. This is their place of of, of business. So they're there to make money. That's right. Um, the same way. How you long? Are. Like, what's what's the max? You know that I've stayed at a coffee shop. Well, that that you should stay. That you should stay. Do you think like I, two hours is is that would that be overstaying your welcome? Do you think? I think over an hour is overstaying your welcome, because you're you're if you're not ordering. So this is the difference. If you're there, and you order one coffee and you babysit that coffee for an hour, and right. then you go back and you order, you know. Uh, one of those small scones and you're there for another hour and a half that's not helping anyone that's not helping the business owner sure yeah so this is one of the things that the baristas mentioned is is uh you know they they don't mind you working uh and camping out all day but uh don't nurse that one coffee from like nine o'clock all the way through your work day you know you absolutely keep keep getting up and ordering more snacks and and more coffees and and that kind of thing and and not to expect every coffee refill like sometimes if it's just a coffee instead of a mocha latte whatever they you know they might be nice and give you a little top off but don't always expect those to be free and that's the thing nothing in life is free anymore that left years and years and years ago. No one knows what free is anymore. <laughs> um, because the cost of living is so is so high. Sure. So the same way that barista, that business owner, that establishment, they have to pay their bills. The same way you do. So by you sitting there and using their business as your office, free. Remember I said free doesn't right. exist anymore. <laughs> for free. 
There are a whole bunch of other workspaces where you can have a communal office where you share those workspaces. Or, or com- go commercial, in. yeah, commercial um, workspaces where you, you go and you, you pay whatever for the day and you That's got exactly your, you can bring in your laptop and they got uh, great amenities there for you to use. But um, the, the other thing that uh, coffee shop owners mentioned in this article was um, not to, you know, it's one thing to come in and like get out your laptop um, and, uh, and, and you know, type away doing emails or something like that, but uh, not, not to spread out over multiple, you know, spots and, and tables with your different work files and your, you know, spreading that out your glasses and your chargers and your this and your that, you know, you know, don't spread out like the whole place is, is there for your office That's space. my favorite. And it happens a lot. Um, it actually happened to me. I went to a cafe. I'm not going to mention the name. And it wasn't one of those chain places. This was, um, you're, you're, you know, a, a mom and pop kind of uh, a small business owner. And they have those long communal tables. Right. The wood tables, you sit down and everyone kind of sits and you do your thing and that's it. This person spread out, no joke, took three quarters of this table, a table that sat more than eight. No way. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's egregious, you know, like. So I went with my little laptop. I had my coffee. I was actually waiting for someone. And there were two seats at the end of the table. And I sat myself down, took on my laptop. He looked over at me and he said, I need that space. <laughs> I didn't know who he was at first. I thought maybe he was the owner. No, nah, that's too much. Now, do you think that some coffee shops kind of encourage this sort of thing by offering, you know, free Wi-Fi and plugs for your phone and all that kind of stuff? Like if it was just a coffee shop with a table uh, for you to enjoy your beverage at, um, I feel like maybe most people wouldn't be able to set up shop. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with you because in that case, like you said, you'd go to Tim Hortons where you know you're in and out. Right, yeah, you know you're going to be there for like 30 minutes, you drink your coffee, you eat your sandwich, off you go. Exactly. So I think if you are, and I agree with you, if you are setting this up and you are offering Wi-Fi and you are offering an environment where people will get comfy in those chairs. Yeah. Get a yeah. couple of uncomfortable chairs, they won't stay long. <laughs> right. So even if you offer the Wi-Fi, get one of those tiny chairs where your butt's hanging off of each side and believe me. <laughs> or or with the Wi-Fi, if, if you just made it super slow, you know, people wouldn't uh, be working out of their office there all day. Exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, finishing up this one, uh, a couple uh, last last ones here. Um, some really outrageous people think that it's okay to grab money from the tip jar uh, to top up their pocket Come change on. if they don't have uh, enough to cover the cost of their coffee in cash, which is, I think, bizarre because who doesn't carry plastic? You know, just just right. tap and go. And uh, they help themselves to it. Oh yeah, they'll just you know if, if you got a if if you got two. Two bucks thirty cents. They'll reach in and grab whatever they need to top themselves up to to three the three bucks or whatever the the cost of their coffee is. Oh wow! Yeah, Did which you is hear that just noise? That so was my rude. Job. Like, instead of yeah, instead of uh, giving a tip, you're 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 uh, taken from the from the baristas who've been working hard all day. So, um, and and finally, uh, the dumpers people who uh, feel they need a bit more room for their cream and sugar, uh, draining hot coffee off into the plastic garbage bags. Barista said that uh, often it melts through the bag and it leaves a terrible mess for them to be cleaning up after you leave. Oh, wow. Um, I'll be honest. I-, I think I have been guilty of that in the past. Um, but there- there's there's nothing else to 
do you know like if they sometimes they really overfill your your cup and uh well they used to have a lot of places used to have and i don't know if you noticed it it's like a grate that you would place your coffee cup on top of sure like like a little drip tray you mean exactly yeah i think that's a great idea but yeah not everyone's got that so i do try to be aware though like that you're not pouring it directly into like the bottom of a new bag because yeah that's definitely going to melt through if you got like fresh hot coffee and truly, I don't know why I made that. Oh, wow. Like I was shocked because I am guilty of doing this <laughs> as well. <laughs> it's just I think I'm shocked that I, people have caught on. Um, <laughs> that it's probably me. They're going to have a sign of my face with the lines. Yeah. Don't, don't allow her in here. Don't Just don't be the reason for the rule, eh? Yeah. 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 All right. Moving <laughs> on. Uh, pot infused drinks um, wow. are, are coming to shelves here in Canada. Uh, now that edibles are finally legal uh, as of this October. Um, I don't know if you, I'm sure you remember Mitchell Stern of Station Cold Brew, who was on uh, uh, earlier last year. Yes. He's a, um, uh, also a beverage industry aficionado, and he told us to watch out for this trend of pot-infused drinks. He, he thought it was going to be a really big hit. Um, that's episode number 22, if you guys want to go check out that, that conversation. Um, but now CP24 is reporting that a collaboration between beer giant Molson Coors and Trust Beverage Co. is bringing CBD-based spring water drinks and THC-based beverages uh, to Canadian shelves THC. this December. That's right. That, that's the psychotropic uh, yeah. compound. Okay. So here's, here's where I have a problem with this. I guess you can probably say that it's liquor does the same thing. So alcohol is mind-altering. For sure. And you can get that everywhere. So... But I don't know. I guess I'm still with that THC. I'm still linking it to um, something that we shouldn't do. It, it's up to you, right? It's your choice. You don't have to have it if you don't want. But I, I mean, I think we've arrived at a, at a point as a country, you know, in, in making pot legal that, uh, you know, alcohol is uh, is recreational um, and it does have its risks and its harms, as does uh, THC products. So, I mean, it's... it's uh, low relatively low impact I, I guess you could say and and uh it, it really comes down to responsible consuming um though it, it is a pretty new thing that kind of comes along with the taboo so I, I'm, I'm sure you're definitely going to see a lot of people um with that sort of attitude towards it uh, going forward but uh these products are finally available i think the important thing though about it, that it it's uh commercially available and this is something that mitchell uh, touched on in in that episode was that um the the edibles is tricky because if you're making them at home yourself, mm-hmm. the dosage is not going to be consistent. But when it's commercially produced, there are strict guidelines on dosing for, for each serving. Um, so I, I think there's a little bit less risk in consuming a commercially produced edible rather than something that people are making at home themselves. Right. And for me, CBD, um, actually, it's been around for years in treating certain illnesses. And it, I think it's just a matter of me wrapping my head around the THC side of things and removing that stigma that we've had or what was embedded in me yeah, over I think the it's, years it's and getting used that... to. Yeah, sorry, it, go ahead. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting that they've they've uh, split off the the compounds because they clearly know their their target markets, right? You know, there's there's people that are not interested in the psychotropic effects of THC, but exactly. the CBD is is the the calming effect um, of, of, uh, marijuana. And so, um, you, you know, it, it, we've, we've heard from people saying that it, it has done a lot for their anxiety, for PTSD, that kind of thing. Um, but then, but then you have the people that, uh, 
you know, same way that you might go to the bar and, and have a fun night uh, with alcohol. People are looking for just that recreational side of, of the THC beverage. So they, they've obviously split it off and uh, they're, they're catering to two, two different markets. Do you think we're, we're overdoing it now with the CBD and the THC? Yeah, you, you do hear it a lot. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of products on the shelves, um, things that don't really seem like they need to have CBD uh, in it. But I, I think it's just that it's such a new product. Everyone wants to uh, try it out and report on it. And uh, it's it's just got a lot of buzz going on it right now. But the problem I think I'm having now with, with CBD and it's not so much with CBD. It's how we're all treating it because everyone suddenly has a condition that they're treating with CBD. It is being treated as a bit of like a cure-all. Um, yes. A, a lot more research needs to go into it, I think, but you'd hate to see it kind of go the way of snake oil. Correct. I mean, also, I guess why, why I'm saying this is because now I'm suddenly, I'm coming across clothing that's infused with CBD. Clothing. Clothing. There's a bra on the market right now that's infused with CBD. Yeah, it's I in mean, the fibers. Um, I don't get it. Like this is where ha, I think have you ever now come that, across uh, t-shirts or hats or, or sun umbrellas uh, that that are um, you uh, rated for UV protection? Yes. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of like a marketer's trick, I think. You, you know, like like yeah. I mean, what's the last time you got burned through your t-shirt? And that's why I think I'm fearful, like you said, that this is going to go the way of snake oil. Right. Yeah. So I mean, because I, it's being again, overused. It's, it's a new product. It's a new market. I think people are just really buzzing about it. And obviously, marketers are going to take advantage of that. Right. And I believe it really does help people. Yeah. Yeah. Again, so we'll, we'll definitely see some more research coming out. And uh, I'm sure we'll cover it more here on our Sound Bites segment. Um, but, okay, enough uh, of me going on about that. Next. <laughs> Matt, you're really trying to sell that trying to, You were lightly trying to push me along. It's okay. Uh-huh. I got it. <laughs> well, anyway, so um, wrapping this one up, uh, the trust chief executive, Brett Vi, says that we've been at this for quite a while now, and we feel very confident and very excited about the THC products that we will be launching. Uh, mm-hmm. Trust plans to launch six cannabis beverage brands, but won't say whether any of those will also feature alcohol. Did you... Uh, hear anything about the great pasta debate on Twitter in the past few weeks? No, but please do tell me. So earlier this month, a user outed their girlfriend for cold boiling her pasta, uh, which was she she would add uh, uncooked dried pasta to a cold pot of water and then bring it to a boil. And he kind of got a bit of backlash for mansplaining. And then it kind of kicked off a, a big debate about the right way to cook your pasta. Mm-hmm. Have you ever cooked your pasta that way? Or do you start every time with a boiling pot? Always with a boiling pot. I have never cooked it from... I have never added it to a pot of cold water and brought it to a boil from there. No. I mean, it, it's just something that never really occurred to me as like a way to do that. Um, but uh, I I mean, I guess it like it kind of works. But it, it was interesting because this in this debate... Um, Many, many Twitter users obviously were jumping in um, with their with their kind of pro tips, I guess. But some big names in chefing and food science also uh, jumped in the ring, including TV food presenter and cookbook author Alton Brown. Mm-hmm. He says that uh, shortcut pastas like uh, farfalla or rigatoni can be added to cold water first and then brought to a boil for a perfect al dente result. I get that. I don't know. I mean, why? Why? 
why try to fix something that's not broken? Now, you're like, Italian, so does this offend you personally? It doesn't feel offend like pasta me. Pasta is like a very, it's got very traditional roots, right? And so it really does. It really does. And the way you cook it, I mean, even cooking it al dente, you just cook it for less. Um, but <laughs> it's, it, to me, it's trying to find a shortcut um, to something or a solution to a problem when there is no problem. I mean, it does and seem it, like a little lazy, right? Like instead of, you know, properly, you know, I'm going to be in the kitchen, I'm going to be cooking pasta, you know, focusing on what you're doing, it just kind of, seems like someone wants to you know throw a bunch of dry pasta in the pot turn it on to boil and walk away and do something else for a little while right and in this poor girl's defense i i don't believe she probably knew how to cook pasta and that's why she (laughs) did it that way and then gets called out for it um but i i just don't see again i just i'm yeah no no look i'm even speechless i that's not normal for me (laughs) well alton says that um as as a sort of aside, that this really only works for dried pasta. He would never yes. uh, add fresh pasta to a cold pot of water. It just wouldn't get you the results that you're looking for. No, um, you'll get he paste. Al- he also <laughs> recommends removing pasta with a spider instead of draining it over a colander because that mm-hmm. starchy water is great for thickening sauces and reheating pasta. Absolutely. I will also admit to not knowing what a spider was offhand. Uh, <laughs> so I googled it. Yep. Um, to find out what it was. And uh, I, I got equal results of the, the utensil. Um, yes. The, the, the wire mesh utensil to scoop things out of a pot of water or oil and actual spider recipes <laughs> for like That's cooked tarantula, so which... Oh, God. Oh, I, it, it freaked me right out. I was not That's interested disgusting. in that. That's disgusting. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that because it's probably delicacy in someone's <laughs> culture. I apologize. I take not it for back. Me. Not for me. Not for me. Um, and I mean, okay, so talking about reheated pasta, I really do need to add this because one of my favorite ways, like no one hangs on to starchy pasta water to reheat their pasta the day after or the day after that. But what you can do, which is freaking awesome, is get yourself a pan, put some olive oil in that and saute your pasta. So you take it out of the fridge, bring it into the pour, pour it into your pan, and saute it with the olive oil. Okay. You start getting these little crunchy bits onto the pasta. Oh yeah. Um, the sauce kind of melts in, and it's, it's slightly thicker. I mean, if you want to loosen it up, you can add anything from a little filtered water if you want, tap water, whatever it is, just to loosen it up a bit. But you yeah. don't need it. It's so good. If, I, if you reheat your pasta, I recommend doing it that way. That's a good idea. I'll have to try that. So the uh, the takeaway seems to be that some pastas can do well in a cold water start. Uh, you'll definitely get a more consistent result if you add pasta to boiling water each and every time. Apparently, with the cold boil, um, you can get with with you know different types of pasta. You can get sort of a soggy outside while the mm-hmm. interior is still way undercooked. So the consistent result comes from adding pasta to boiling water. Okay, and my takeaway with that is just don't do it. <laughs> it was it was really interesting to me how passionate people were about uh how to cook your pasta. Yeah, they're just they're overcomplicating something that's already straightforward and easy to follow. Sure. Next. And finally, <laughs> um from the kitchen.com, a surprisingly awesome article on cooking better potatoes. I am someone who uh, just kind of use different potatoes interchangeably. Usually just mm-hmm. whatever I have on hand, I'll get a five pound bag of Yukon gold this time or a red skin that time. I'd, I've never really paid much attention to it. But 
the kitchen.com has some great ideas on, um, you know, ways to use uh, different potatoes. So they say that waxy varieties hold their shape the best. So if you're using red or fingerling for salads, chowders, and stews, they'll, they'll hold their shape really well. Um, second, don't rinse off the starch when you want a thicker result. So something like scalloped potatoes or latkes um, was, was another one. Uh, that they suggested, or, or hash browns. Um, right, but... They, they hold their shape uh, a lot better, and, and it'll make for a nice thick dish if you uh, don't rinse the starch off when you start. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when you do want to rinse the starch off is for something like a, when you want a really crispy result, like French fries. So that'll, that'll give you a nice crisp outside with a nice fluffy inside. And I got to give one more to add to that one. If you want a nice crisp fry... Yeah. Or potato, even if you're doing potatoes, roasted potatoes in the oven, and you want that crispy outer and then that nice, soft, fluffy inside, mm-hmm. cut them up, leave them soaking in a bowl of cold water, at least for about an hour. But I usually do it overnight. Okay. And then when you take them out of the refrigerator, or after an hour, um, throw them into, uh, just throw them into a colander, drain them, rinse them off. And that's where you do rinse that starch off because you want that crispy outer layer. And then you toss it with your uh, seasoning, some olive oil, put on a pan. I guarantee you, you will get that crispy golden outside and this lovely, like fluffy um, texture on the inside. Okay. Yeah. You know, I I have read about that. I have to admit, personally, I'm not usually that committed. I'm... (laughs) Usually it's Saturday morning. I'm walking down thinking I want bacon, potatoes, and eggs. And right. uh, you know, I, I guess I just don't think quite that far ahead. But it, it seems like a lot of work to me to just get those uh, crispy potatoes. Well, I like I using a cast it... iron pan and some olive oil. Oh, that's that good That usually too. gets a pretty crisp. Like, crisp enough for me anyway. Yes. Yes. And fingerling potatoes in a cast iron. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. The cast iron pan is my absolute favorite uh, tool in the house. I think this one um, was one of my favorite that you had, which was when boiling for mashed potatoes. What's the Uh, deal on that one? Yeah, this one was interesting. Um, In order to avoid a gummy texture from waterlogged potatoes, if you're going to do mashed potatoes, um, boil them with the skins on and then peel them afterwards. And the reason why I love this one so much is because, I don't know about you, but we were always taught growing up, you peel your potatoes, you cut them up before you boil them for mashed potatoes. Right. And this... Makes sense. I mean, I do it. I do it now. I've always done it. But um, but as a kid growing up, I was told to peel my potatoes. And now I know why I was getting that kind of gummy <laughs> right. texture. That's right. So yeah, some, some interesting tips from thekitchen.com uh, for cooking better potatoes. And uh, that's that's it. That's all I have um, for articles today. What's What's going on? What's new in your kitchen? What's new in my kitchen? Other than it's fall, I've been really working on um, a lot of soup recipes. Yes, soups, it's the perfect stews. time of year. It really is. And oh, the latest one. Frank and I, we're obsessed with roasted chestnuts. I don't know. Do you have roasted chestnuts? Do you eat them? You know what? I don't know if I've ever had a roasted chestnut. Matt, please go out, get yourself some chestnuts today and do this. And you will thank me later. I'm going to get a text from you. Guaranteed, I know it. That's how yeah. confident I am. Roasted chestnuts, I grew up with this. Um, and we always had them around. And we always made them, especially around holidays. Uh, that happened either in the fall, in the winter. Christmas was huge. We always had chest roasted chestnuts. Some people boil them. Um, but roasting has always been our thing. 
And Frank and I have been on a mission to figure out and come across one of the best roasted, oven roasted chestnuts that we can make. And we just did it. I actually have to give more credit to Frank on this one. Um, And should I share it? Absolutely, you should. Okay. So what you do is you get your chestnuts, rinse them. I like to rinse mine off. And then I just, um, you cut a slit. So on the chestnut, you got a flat side and then you got a round side. Okay. On the round side of the chestnut, cut a slit right across. Straight line, using a parry knife, cut across and do this for every single one. What this does is it allows the steam to release I see. as they're as they're roasting so it doesn't explode in your oven, which has happened. It served for a little more excitement than you want. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and if you don't cut one all the way through, it can happen. So you're going to hear that pop and everyone's like looking around, what's going on? Um, <laughs> and then what you do once you cut that slit is you get a bowl of water, salt it, generously salt it with some kosher salt, toss those um chestnuts into the water give them a little swirl get them nice and mixed up with mm-hmm. the um with that water drain them and then toss them onto a, a rimmed baking sheet and then sprinkle again some more kosher salt over top so that also starts releasing um any of the humidity that's in there so it kind of gives it like that dry steam mm-hmm. pop them into the oven i think the oven we did at uh i want to say 400 Pop them into 400 okay. degree Fahrenheit oven, roast them up for about 20 minutes, take out the pan, shake it up, pop it back in for five, and then hit your broiler and then do one more minute on broil. When okay. you take those chestnuts out, pour them into a bowl, cover them with a tea towel so that way the steam kind of gets in and throughout all those uh, uh, shells. And once you peel them, oh my goodness, sweet, m- soft. I was going to say moist, but a lot of people have a problem with that word. Um, <laughs> delicious. Now, do you serve them with anything in particular? Like, is there something a great that goes with? A glass of wine if you'd like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a glass of wine. I usually pour myself a little pinot and then I have with chestnuts. Very nice combo. Well, I'll have to give it a try. Yeah. That sounds yeah. fantastic. I can tell I'm passionate about chestnuts. Are they really aromatic? They are. Yeah. It just kind they of fills are. the whole house with the smell of... Uh, and it's just not roasting it, open, over an open fire. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it really <laughs> does. And it gives you that. It's almost like a warm hug. I guess if there's <laughs> songs written about it, it's it's uh, worth trying. Eh? They really are. They're fantastic. Okay. Enough about me. What's going on in your kitchen? Uh, well, this week I treated myself to a new temp controlled kettle. It's, uh, it's nice. a really sleek looking glass uh, kettle. It's got LED lights in it to like indicate... Uh, the 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 different temperature levels which i think looks a little kitschy but uh whatever um, i'm laughing because all i can think of what is the club mm, well yeah mm, it's mm, so funny when you when you're making tea you're late making at night tea. it's like got all these like uh all this glowing lights in the corner of your kitchen so so yeah it's been really awesome i've had some amazing pots of french press coffee and i gotta tell you i don't think i've ever actually had uh a cup of unburnt green tea i do like green tea but I always find I have to add something to it to kind of cover up the bitterness, a little bit of a little bit of sugar or of like agave sweetener or something like that. But I didn't feel mm-hmm. like I had to um, add anything this time because it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't burnt. It was light and sweet, kind of on its own, uh, because it you, it boils at a or you boil the water at a lower temperature. So um, it's what temperature? Do you know? uh, I think it's 170 or so Fahrenheit. Um, 
and and yeah, the kettle just turns itself off when it's ready, and uh, it's it's got a bit, I think about six or seven different settings uh, for for different temperatures: white tea versus green tea, uh, coffee, that kind of thing. So. Does it matter whether it's loose leaf matcha? Well, um, yeah, there actually there is a separate matcha green tea setting, but um, I've I don't think I've ever actually had matcha, but I just I just have the um, uh, Tetley's you know green tea pouch. So mm-hmm. um, I do I should go and, and find myself some higher quality loose leaf tea. I did actually recently before I got the kettle, unfortunately, uh, finish up a uh, pouch of Lapsang Souchong smoked black tea, and it was amazing. What? It was really, really good. Uh, just so what happens is it's it's a Chinese tea, and um, in order to dry the leaves, they smoke it with uh, pine, and so it's got this really, really nice, uh, subtle, um, smoked f- uh, flavor. Yeah, it's a great a great winter tea. Okay, where did you get that? Because I need to try. I this. got it from the Great Canadian Tea Company. Um, Seriously, just delivered off of Amazon. Yeah, I really want to look into this kettle. I love it. I got myself a smeg. But it's not temp controlled. Is is that like a um, a whistler, like a, a stovetop kettle? No, not a stovetop okay. electric. It, this is what um, I replaced as a stovetop kettle, and I mean it's it's um I've, I've had it for years. It's just kind of been you know our go to kettle. Um, but it it was described as a a whistler, and it is not. It is a scream oh, okay. like bloody murderer. No. Yeah, it freaks out me and the dog and my wife every time I put it on and. You know, walk away to go do something else for like two minutes and I come back and it's it scares the bejesus out of us. The new one or the old? The old one. The old one. The, the, old the new, <laughs> uh, nice, sleek glass kettle just turns off. It brings it to a boil and then it just shuts it off. And it's very calm and quiet and nice uh, despite the weird club-like LEDs. Awesome. Oh, and I almost forgot what's new in my kitchen. I'm putting together a Spotify kitchen mashup playlist. Oh, yeah? What's going in it? I have a lot of... Because I'm an 80s, early 90s girl. Um, so I have a lot of old school in there. Because a lot of that just gets me pumped, gets me going, makes me smile. That's awesome. Uh, how can people find it? Just search Mary Mammaliti, all one word, and uh, look for kitchen mashup. That's my latest playlist, and I'll be working on some more collaborations with some new playlists and uh, one for the holidays. I just, I, you know what? I love music. I love cooking with music. So I figured someone else may like the same thing, and we can dance together in the kitchen. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm hosting a uh, belated friends Thanksgiving uh, this weekend, so I'll I'll crank the tunes while we get dinner prepped. All right, Matt. I think people have listened to us long enough. For far too long, in fact. Until next time. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew, and I'm Mary Mammaliti. See you at the next episode. 